friends, for the last couple of weeks, uh, or I guess last week and for the next several weeks, we're going on a, on a road trip. And as many of you know, a road trip is just not any fun without friends. And so when you call the, your buddies and say, load up, let's go, it's always fun when somebody says, I'm with you. And so this morning, I'm excited because uh, one of the members of the Pastoral Advisory Council, uh, which are a group of, of men that I've asked to sit with me and, and have asked to advise me and pray over me and give me counsel and give me wisdom and to correct me and tell me when to be quiet, um, uh, they double as, as the Holy Spirit and sometimes Amanda. So in case you're wondering, I got lots of things around me. Um, but, but they said, man, we, we would love to be able to... to uh, give you some opportunity to focus on a couple of projects that I've been looking at for this next 12 to 18 months. Um, and it gives me just a little bit of time to also be refreshed uh, and to be preached to. You may not believe it or not, but I need that too. Um, and it's hard for me to do when I have to work on Sundays. Uh, so I'm excited this morning that my friend Simon Lynn uh, is going to come and share the message with us this morning as we continue our Romans road trip. And so Simon, come on up and lead us, will you? Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. How is everybody doing today? It's another hot day in Houston, right? So anyways, as John had mentioned, we've been going through the series of the Roman Road. And um, this week, uh, we'll be traveling from Sin City to the Twin Cities. So last week, John covered Romans chapter 1, and he spoke on the issue of sin. Right, the the, de- the 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 human depraved condition, and how sin has had a devastating impact and effect on each of us and all of those around us. And today we're going to be covering chapter two, and the title of today's sermon is "The Twin Cities." It's called hypocrisy and self-deception. Now, to get started, I wanted to kind of do something a little bit different. Uh, we're going to have some trivia questions. Okay, and this is going to be requires some audience participation. Now, as I mentioned, our topic today is on Twin Cities. And what most famous Twin Cities do you guys know of? Minneapolis and St. Paul. Good. Now, I know that some of us here are Texans, right? And we would think, how about Dallas and Fort Worth? Or how about, yeah, you see? So us Texans will probably think that. We probably have an argument and have a debate on it. But just for the sake of argument's sake, Uh, We're just going to go with Minneapolis-St. Paul up in the great state of Minnesota. Now, curious, is anyone here born in the state of Minnesota? Or anybody born in the state of Minnesota? I guess not. Anyone lives in the city or the state of Minnesota? Ah, one gets half, right? We're good, we're good. Minneapolis, good. Well, any of you have visited the city or Minnesota? How many of you have been on travel or vacation or all places? Well, just let me give you some advice. I've been there probably about a dozen times on business, and I would just tell you one thing is that when you go there, don't go in the middle of the winter, okay? It's incredibly cold. One time I was on a business trip, and I forgot my heavy, heavy overcoat, and what do you think happened when I got out of the airport? I was freezing, right? So just, just a good word of advice. Go there towards the spring or the summer or the fall, okay? Now, kind of tell you a little bit about myself. I was born in the 1960s, and I went to college in the 1980s. For some of you, you weren't even born in the 1980s. I think some of us youth here, right? Uh, but I just kind of give you a little bit of background about what happened in the 1980s, right? This was before the Internet, right? I mean, there was no such thing as Google, and there was no thing as World Wide Web. 
right? Um, this was before you could binge watch movies, right? You literally had, I think some of you might have had a Betamax or a, v a VHS, right? So uh, for video games, we didn't have any home consoles, right? We, or some of us did with the pre-era -er, uh, of Atari, but most of the times we played video games and we played these large consoles, right? Remember those, right? You go to the video arcade, or some of us went to a 7-Eleven, you might have a two or three machines there, and you had to pop quarters. Can you, you get, some of you might know, right? But people always wonder, my kids sometimes wonder, so what do you guys do when, when, when you didn't have the internet, right? Or you didn't have uh, Netflix? And I said, well, we played board games, right? We played board games. And one of the things we did, especially for those that were on a limited budget, that didn't like to party at the bars, we played on Friday nights or Saturday nights, we got together with a group of our friends and played board games, right? And one of the favorite games we played was Trivia Pursuit. How many played Trivia Pursuit? Classic game, see? And there's like six categories that we have to cover, right? And you had to get all of them right before you get, I think the last one you have to, the whatever, the miscellaneous or whatever question you score, right? And the categories would be like geography or history or literature, right? Some of those different topics that, you know, and there was somebody in your group that was really good at one, one group. So if you played in teams, right, you were, you were, you were, you were best to have uh, other people. So anyways, we're going to do a little bit of trivia pursuit today, and we're going to have five trivia questions, okay? And I do have some prizes here, so I'm going to kind of encourage some uh, participation, okay? So the first question, the first question, and this is a multiple choice. The other ones are uh, basically you have to answer by itself. So the first question is, this city, and you have to raise your hand, okay? I have to raise your hand. This city is the state capital of Minnesota, okay? One, A, one, Minneapolis, two, St. Cloud, C, Duluth, and D, it's St. Paul. So raise your hand. Okay. Duluth, not correct. Not correct. So you have three other choices. St. Paul, correct. Come up and get a prize, okay? Pick one. See, see? Yeah, okay. You get the first two. Okay, okay. Question number two. This is, so the first one is in geography. This one is in uh, politics, okay? This former WWF professional wrestler and former Navy SEAL served as Minnesota's 38th governor from 1999 to 2003. Lance. Jesse the Body Ventura. So come up and get your, right? Okay, come on and get your prize. Very good, very good. Yeah, there you go, there you go. All right. Question number three in sports. So some of your sports people, right? This famous professional basketball team played in Minneapolis from 1947 to 1960 before re moving west. The Lakers, really good. And just for people's, they called Minnesota the what? The the the, the land of lakes, yes. Yep. <laughs> okay. The next question is in the area of business. This company headquartered in Minnesota is known for creating innovative products. Two very recognizable brands are Scotch Tape and Post-it Notes. 3M? 
Come on up. Who said it? Oh, Lori? Oh, you have to raise your hand. You have to raise your hand. Okay. Go raise your hand. Raise your hand. Lori. 3M. Okay. There you go. Pick one. The last one. Okay. All right. Now, question number five. Okay. This is an entertainment. This 1970s TV sitcom storyline was a, about an armed, married, independent w woman focused on her career as an associate producer of a new show at the fictional local station WJM in Minneapolis. Thatcher? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yes, no. Yeah, yeah. Merely Tyra Moore. So hopefully that kind of gets your brain juices going, right? Because the book of Romans is really a very intellectual book, right? And it's really kind of hard to understand. So kind of to get in this connection uh, from Sin City with Twin City, now you're kind of thinking, okay, what is he talking about today, right? So I think about chocolate bars and trivia pursuit. But really, we're going to talk about hypocrisy and self-deception. Now, to really fully understand chapter two, we really have to go back to chapter one. And so let's do a, a kind of a quick overview of what John covered last week. And if you were to ask yourself this question, the central theme of Romans chapter 1 is on the universality of sin and the universality of God's judgment and wrath. Well, let me just say this about the book of Romans. Sometimes if some of you have done a deep dive or study in the book of Romans, you're, you're kind of taught to dissect the book you know, chapter by chapter or by section by section or by verse by verse. And I totally understand and appreciate this methodology. However, if you just kind of go through that, you don't get the total flow. You know, the, the letter's written by the Apostle Paul, and it really wasn't meant to pause or stop at certain points. The book, the letter, was really meant as a continuous flow of thought, especially if you go from chapter 1 through chapter 10. Now, if you look at chapter 2, you may think to yourself that, you, that Paul's starting a new topic. But that's not the case. In reality, if you look at chapter 2, Paul is expounding really on chapter 1. You know, he makes these grand statements. I'm going to cover that really shortly. And then he understands the objections of those statements. Now, how do you think about that, you know? How many of you have been in, in, a, in a discussion on a very hot topic or a very controversial topic, right? You kind of know when, you, when you're having a conversation with somebody who has a very strong view of something, you're anticipating their response, right? Now, I'm going to pick on my daughter today, but I'll just say this. You know, one time when we were talking about some subject matter, she would say, Dad, I know what you're about to say, right? So before I even can open my mouth, she says that, right? And that's what chapter 2 is all about. Paul understood the mindset of the believers or, or the, those in the church of Rome. A lot of them understood the Jewish background. So basically chapter 2 is, a, is, is confronting or addressing the immediate objections that they would have for, number, for, for chapter 1. So let's go back to chapter 1. And you can open your Bibles and you can lift up here. Chapter 1, and we're just going to cover verses 16 through 20. 16 through 20. So let's read that. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, for it is, is in it, it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So just kind of summarize this passage, right? Paul is telling the church that salvation comes by faith, not by works, not by our own merit, not by anything that we could uh, stand before God and say, we're righteous, okay? It is by faith that we receive the gift of salvation. It is a gift, right? And that it is the power of God that saves us. There's nothing inherent in ourselves that we could earn our way to heaven or be in right standing with God. It's not our genealogy. It's not our history. It's not anything that we could do before God that salvation comes by faith. And this applies to all. It's universal. Whether you're a Jew or a non-Jew or a Gentile, like many of us are here, right? Whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're Asian or Hispanic, whether you're male or female, whether you're young or old, it applies to all, okay? That salvation comes by faith, right? And what are we saved from? Now, people always say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm saved. But sometimes we say, what are you saved from? Well, it's clear here that we're being saved from God's wrath, God's judgment against all wickedness and ungodliness. Now, this is not a very popular topic, right? People don't talk about the wrath of God. They want to talk about the love of God. But the reality is the Bible's clear that wickedness, whether on this earth or afterwards, all ungodliness is going to be dealt with by God. He's going to judge it. He's going to punish those that done wrong. And this wrath, this judgment, this punishment of God applies to all of us. There are no exemptions. Now, the Apostle Paul understood, you know, the Jewish mindset. He himself was a Pharisee, an expert of the law. In fact, he was a persecutor of the Christians because he was one of those. And he knew very well, because he himself was one, that the Jews would never accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, as the Bible says in other passages, he says that the gospel was a stumbling block for them. And how so? For one, as many of us know, the Jews were so-called God's chosen people. They were under the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as you read in the Old Testament. They were given the promises of God and the protection of God. So, in their mind, they say, how could we be subject to the wrath of God? It simply did not make sense. Second, they were given the law by Moses, you know, from the time of Exodus, as you read, as God delivered the people with Moses through out of, the, out of Egypt, God gave them in the Mount Sinai the law. They were given instructions how to conduct themselves, and we kind of talked about earlier in today's Sunday school. And John had covered back in a few, few months ago, a few weeks back, Deuteronomy chapter 28, 
right? Which spells out the blessings and the curses that follow those, the nation, and those individuals within the nation for those who obey and disobey the law. So the notion that salvation comes through faith in believing in Jesus Christ just was a foreign concept. Especially as we know what the Jews thought about Jesus Christ was, was total foreign to them. You see, Jesus was executed, right? He was executed by crucifixion. And you know, the, the, the crucifixion, the execution by crucifixion was only reserved for the worst of criminals, right? So how could you be basing your whole salvation on this person, right, who died a criminal's death? So this notion that salvation comes by faith through Jesus Christ was completely ridiculous and preposterous to the Jewish mind. And then finally, the Jews would think they could never accept the Gentiles, the non-Jews, being included in God's plan of salvation, right? They could not understand, the Jews could not understand how suddenly they were being lumped in with these pagans and heathens, right? Throughout the history, they were taught that they were God's chosen people, and those outside would be punished and condemned. So this idea of God's universal wrath and the doctrine of justification by faith just made no sense to them. So in Romans chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is laying out this beautiful argument to the Jewish objection. And the two main points he points out is their blind spot. And that's their hypocrisy and their self-deception. And that's what we're going to cover in the next few minutes. So hypocrisy and self-deception are like fraternal twins, right? There are a lot of similarities, but there's also a lot of distinctions. So we're going to take a deeper dive into each. And let's start with hypocrisy. What is the definition of hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which, which one's own behavior does not conform. I think this uh, quote up here is a pretty good way to describe hypocrisy, right? Hypocrites are rather easy to recognize. They spend most of their time pointing out the flaws in others and the rest of the time trying to flaunt their own perfections. Wouldn't you agree that's what a hypocrite is? Wouldn't that describe a hypocrite? Well, the Apostle Paul points to the Jews of their hypocrisy. So let's read Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, okay? So we're going to take this passage. So Romans 2, 1 through 5 says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. You suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them in yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's judgment, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse 1, Paul says, tells us that the Jews did not practice what they preached. The same thing that they were accusing others of, they themselves were guilty of. And for that very reason alone, they were not exempt from God's judgment. 
There was no such thing as get out of jail free card, right? You know? And the other thing that the Jews had problem was that they mistaken God's kindness, his forbearance and patience as a sign of God's favor for their good works. And sometimes we're that same guilty for that, right? We think that because God doesn't punish us immediately, that therefore what we're doing is correct. Well, they were wrong. You know, they should have, you know, kind of like we have short memories. Well, the Jews had short memories. Just like now we're reading, we've, we're previous to this, we were going through the book of Jeremiah, right? What was God warning the people of Israel about or Judah? The pending judgment, right? And they spent the next seven years in exile, you know, as, as their temple and the city of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians, right? So they should have remembered that. They should have remembered that God doesn't, doesn't always punish people right away, and that doesn't mean that you're in, you're in good, good standing with God. So that was a problem. That was a problem. And rather than trusting in themselves and their background and their heritage, the Jews, the people of God, should have turned from their wicked ways and repented. You see, that's the point that God does. You know, God doesn't just mete out punishment right away. That's a misunderstanding. God often shows kindness. His forbearance means that he doesn't just his withhold his judgment right away so that people would repent. They would think of his generous nature, right? That God doesn't want people to perish, but rather God wants people to come to repentance, that they would realize that the, the road that they're walking is going to lead to destruction, right? And, and this would remind us, right, that we need to, 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 um, to, be, to avoid the wrath of God, right? And he reminds the Jews that the wrath of God is going to be poured out against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And we covered that last week in chapter 1, 18, right? And there's no partiality when it comes to God's judgment. Just because you're a Jew didn't exempt you from that. And that was the problem that many of them had. Now, the only exception that kind of, that John talked, touched about, the only exception to this rule are those that are in Christ Jesus, okay? And we're going to touch upon this in the next several chapters. But the only exemption that we have is in Christ Jesus. Now, it's really easy to kind of drill into that, but I'm just going to touch it real quickly, that, you know, we all have to pay for our sins one way or the other. You know, God can't simply just wipe out all our sins, you know? He's a just God. Now, being a person in finance and accounting, I understand this, right? So some of you might have taken accounting. The debits have to match the credits and stuff like that. You have to be reconciled, right? Um, and in the area of credit, okay, we just can't simply write, wipe out the debt. There has to be an offsetting entry, okay? Either you pay for it or somebody else pays for it, really, right? Does that make sense? So that's how it works with debt, with sin. God can't simply wipe it out. Either you pay for it or somebody else pays for it. And who is that somebody else that would pay for it? It's Jesus Christ. He, he bore our sins for us, okay? So we can also see that Jesus condemns the Jews and the religious leaders of their hypocrisy. And you can see this in the Gospel of Matthew 23, verse 23 to verse 20. And there's other uh, passages that he does point out. And here it says in the Gospel, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. There we go, the word hypocrites. For you tithe mint, 
will and coming and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders were so particular about every detail of the law, but they were at the detriment of forgetting what the law was really meant to be. You see, God's commandments was really for two things, right? What is Jesus summarized the law about? To love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and to love your fellow human beings, love your neighbor as yourself. But the, the, the religious leaders, the people at the time, were following more the letter of the law. Every little fine line detail, they were following every little mistake rather than focusing on what the spirit of the law was, was to love God, to honor God, and to, to love one another. And how often do we forget the bigger picture? And maybe that's what we need to think about today. You know, I love this particular quote, this particular um, uh, meme here. When you point a finger at someone else, remember there are three fingers pointing back at you. Do you like that? One, right, and three pointing back at you, right? It's so easy for us to judge others, right? It's so easy to look at their faults. It's so easy to see their, their speck in their eye when we can't even see the blind spot in ourselves. So that's kind of the practical application for today. If you were to take something away from uh, today's message is that don't be so quick to judge others. The same faults that we see others, we're probably guilty of. You know, when, we, when John covered the first, the, 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 the list of sins in chapter 1, he talked about, you know, sexual immorality. Well, look closely. It talks about pride. It talks about envy. It talks about slandering and gossip. Okay? It's all lumped together. You know? We may see that criminal in, that's locked up in, you know, San Quentin or in, in one of the prisons here as bad people. Right? And they are bad people. But how about ourselves? When we stand before the judgment of God, we're by the standards of God, each and every one of them would be declared guilty. And that's the point here, that there is no exception. We may think we're morally superior than other people, but the reality is we're no different. We're no different, okay? We may have different sins and different issues, but there's sin nonetheless. Before, before God, we're guilty, right? And you just remember that God's point, he doesn't punish us right away, right? His forbearance right, is to lead us to repentance so that we walk the right road. God's not just going to strike you down immediately. Many times we don't. It's like, well, I committed that sin. How come something hasn't happened? Well, the consequences will follow, okay? But we must remember that God is a God of patience, and he wants us to be repentant. And lastly, as I mentioned before, that none of us are exempt. None of us are exempt. We're all under condemnation unless we're covered by the blood which is bring us to point two, right? The second blind spot that Paul points to is our own self-deception. And what is self-deception? The definition of self-deception is the action or practice of allowing oneself to believe that a false or unvalid feeling, idea, or situation is true. You know, self-deception can be considered a type of delusion which is characterized by an individual who holds on beliefs or impressions that are contradicted by reality or rational judgment. And I like this quote. 
here's a goal. Self-deception is like this. It binds us to the true cause of problems, and once we're blind, all the solutions we can think of will actually make matters worse. Do you know somebody who has that lives in self-deception? Maybe it's our spouse, right? Maybe someone close to us that's really involved in the delusion. And that is exactly the point that Paul here is making in this section. Now, like I mentioned before, remember the Jewish mindset. You know, they were, we, they were God's chosen people for thousands of years, you know, starting from the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who later became Israel. And his 12 sons, right? And all the tribes of, of, of Israel came from, from, from Jacob. And after 400 years of slavery, Moses, right, led them out of Egypt. And Joshua finished the job 40 years later and led them to the promised land. And now there were periods of ups and downs, starting with the judges, then followed by the kings, and the divided kingdom, and exile, and finally the return. And even despite, right, their, the people's disobedience, God continued to be faithful and provided for them. So in, in a sense, they were God's special people, right? Now, as I mentioned before, Paul was a Pharisee himself. And he, of course, he's telling them that the wrath of God is going to be poured out toward the Jew and Gentile. Now, I said before, the Jew had no problem, okay, accepting the fact that the Gentiles were under condemnation. Um, and that the wrath of God would be poured out against them. They would give you heartily amen. Hey, man, those guys are bad. Those are bad people, right? Those people outside of our fold should be punished, right? But the moment Paul said that the judgment of God applied to them, they would have said, Paul, like I said, right? They would have looked at him and said, what are you talking about, Paul? That, that doesn't apply to us, like I mentioned before, right? They would have heckled him. They would have jeered him. They would have said, this doesn't make any sense. Get out of here, right? How would you, how could you say that God's judgment and wrath would be poured out against us? You know, we're his special people. We're the apple of God's eye. We're exempt from any punishment of God's wrath. And that's here where Paul exposes the, the Jews of their self-deception in verses 17 through 24. You see, like I mentioned before, Paul understood the Jewish mindset. You know, he too, as I said, was, a, was, was an expert of the law. And he points out, starting in verse 17, that the Jews held to the law, knew its commandments, and even boasted and bragged about it. But where they failed was by not obeying it. Look up here, Romans 2, 21 through 23. It says, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You say that one must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You abhor idols. Do you rob temples? Here's the verse. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. It's not merely enough just to know the law. You need to what? Obey it. You need to apply it. You need to follow it. That's where the self-deception comes in, right? How many of you have a driver's license? All of us, almost, most of you, right? How many of you say when you, 
when you get a driver's license, you get the privilege to drive, right? The state of Texas tells you that you pass a certain standard, you know the rules, right? You're supposed to know how to handle the car, all so on and so forth. You have a written test and you have a driving test, right? But how many of you think here, when you drive around town or go somewhere, you wonder, how does that person have a driver's license, right? Now, I've been to other countries like Mexico and in Taiwan, and I, I can personally test to you. I think they're even crazier, okay? But here in Houston, just alone, right? My daughter's taking driver education, and she says, Dad, that person doesn't know how to drive, right? Just because you have a license, just because you, 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 you've been told that you know the laws and the rules of engagement doesn't mean you apply them, right? And, and I, I'm not talking about just the occasional speeding ticket. There's some people out there that should, they should get off the road, right? Anyways, so that's the, what the Paul is talking about. Just because you know the law doesn't mean you apply it, right? And particularly the Jews thought they were superior to the Gentiles, right? They thought that just by knowing the law, it was enough, you know? And that's where their self-deception became more evident. And even Paul here clearly points out that the Jews dishonored God by their disobedience. And look back in verse 24, you look at 24, it says, he calls them as blasphemers, you know? He calls them as blasphemers, right? And that's pretty heavy. When you call someone blasphemous, they're literally calling them a traitor, right? You're bringing shame and dishonor to God and to his name, his reputation, right? We who claim to be the keepers of law but disobey, we're being blasphemous. You see, the people of God were supposed to be holy. And what that means is to be set apart, to be set apart. And in what way? By their obedience, by their adherence to God's law, by their behavior, by their conduct, by their actions, by their attitudes and their mindset. Ultimately, by their love, right? Their love of God and by their love of fellow human beings. You see, the Jews were self-deceived in believing that their behaviors, their actions, their attitudes and conduct didn't matter. They believed that they were just simply being God's people that was enough. And I think that same applies to us today. Although we may be saved by faith, our works and our actions are what confirms our faith. They go hand in hand. In the verse, in the famous verse in James 2.26 here, some of you know this, what would it say? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. You see, our faith is a living faith. It's an active faith. Our actions and our words have to work hand in hand together, right? What we believe and how we conduct ourselves. It really, our life is exemplified by the way we conduct ourselves. People know we're Christians by our by, our, by the, those things. Now, not to say that you behave properly means you're a Christian. It means they go hand in hand together. And I love what Dieter Bonhoeffer, he was a, a theologian, a, a, a pastor back in the time of World War II, when he was himself um, uh, condemned to die in the concentration camp. He brings this one quote I thought was really good, right? It says what? Faith without works is not faith at all, but a simple lack of obedience God. You see? Faith without works is not faith at all, 
but a simple lack of obedience to God. So how does this apply to us? Many of us may call ourselves, I think all of us here, the vast majority will call yourself a Christian. And I ask you this question today. Why do you call yourself a Christian? What qualifies you to be a Christian? Now, I have a list of items. I think maybe one, number one, maybe, well, I'm a church member. I come to this church, right? I must be a Christian, right? There's nothing wrong, right? Most of us, the vast majority of us, have been baptized. You know, some of us have been baptized a couple of times, especially when you come to a Baptist church, they say your baptism back in your old day doesn't count, right? But anyway, I was baptized as a baby, infant, but then I got baptized later when I accepted Christ, right? You may even have a baptism certificate that says that you've been baptized, right? Or you may think a Christian is somebody that attends church regularly, which is a good sign. But is that what you base your whole uh, Christian faith on? Or maybe you're a volunteer or a leader or you serve in the church, right? Or you give regularly, you know? And as I said, these are all good signs. But if your only justification, your only basis of, of, of identifying yourself as a Christian is some kind of label, right, some kind of, uh, of, of marker, we deceive ourselves, you know? And in the later in the chapter, he talks about circumcision. Now, I can't, I don't have time to go through all of that. But a lot of us today were, maybe people wear a crucifix. I know some of the people wear a crucifix because it's a, a jewelry, a piece of jewelry. But really, people wear a crucifix as kind of a sign that they're a believer, right? Today, right? Well, for the Jew, there was a sign of, of, of being in right standing with God was for the, for the male uh, to be circumcised on the eighth day. That was a sign of being in right relationship. And Paul goes and says, just because you're circumcised outwardly doesn't necessarily mean you are a follower. You know, it's not just the outward sign. It's something that happens internally, right? We can know the scriptures, right? We can know the law. We can know all about the Bible. We can memorize scriptures, right? Some of us here are great in, 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 in knowing the word of God, right? But that doesn't necessarily make you a Christian, a follower, right? It doesn't make you a believer just because you know that, especially if you're not following, right? That's the self-deception, you know? Some people can go to seminary and have a seminary degree, but not necessarily be a true follower of Jesus Christ. So that's the question today. What makes a true Christian? You know? And that's the question that I want you to think about during this week. Okay? Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to leave this final quote by Francis Schaeffer, a great theologian. Okay? Kind of put it up here. Jesus taught that the mark of the Christian is the observable love shown among all true believers. So I want you to think about that. What makes a true Christian? Because I'm going to be passing the baton to Brother Joel. Next week he's going to be going on Romans 3, which is a great book, okay? Justification by faith, okay? And um, we'll be traveling the road from the Twin Cities to the Grand Canyon. I'm not sure he's going to specifically use that. But anyways, we're going to pray and uh, lift up the Lord. I hope that this message has been edifying and building you up and uh, go here to, 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 to continue God's work, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, uh, for this blessed message. Uh, thank you for giving the inspiration to go through this passage, through, through this series. Um, I know it's sometimes very heady, very deep, but Lord, I just thank you, God, that you remind us of our blind spots. Um, I'm guilty of this sometimes, Lord. 
I'm guilty of selfishness. I'm guilty of not following through on the law and obeying you when I should. So, Lord, I just want to ask you, O oh God, to just be with each and every one of us, not just to be hearers of the word, but doers, Lord. Thank you for this series. Thank you for all that you've done for us, God. Thank you that you have um, brought us together to learn about your ways. Um, we just want to ask you to bless each and every one of us as we go about our, our week, and that, Lord, that you will just help us to walk that straight and narrow path. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name.